The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to take your Bibles this morning, if you would please, and open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. And today as we open these scriptures, we're brought to one of the very tender moments in the life of Jesus. Uh, We've spoken many times as we've gone through the Gospel of Matthew about the love and compassion that Jesus had for people. He was always helping those that were downtrodden and, of course, those that were physically sick and also casting out demons from people. But most of the time as we've looked at these instances, we find Jesus dealing with adults. And at least as far as we know from Scripture, uh, most of his healing was among adults, but there were times when Jesus dealt with children. For instance, in Luke chapter 8, we find there that he healed a young girl. Not only did he heal her, but he raised her from the dead. And so I think that we could say with some certainty that Jesus did heal many children and dealt with many children because there were so many Uh, childhood diseases, and the life expectancy then was very short. But what about very small children? What about uh, ones that are really kind of trouble to deal with? I mean, those that are just infants. What we learn in this passage is that Jesus was very keenly interested in little children. In the 18th chapter, Jesus brought a little child and set him in the midst of the disciples, And through the illustration of that little child, he showed the disciples what they must be in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, the disciples were like most adults. They are boastful, or they were boastful and arrogant. And each of them wanted to be the closest to Jesus because they figured that the one that was Jesus' best friend, the one who was the closest to him, would have the highest position in his coming kingdom. And the attitude they had was just all wrong. And we saw that in the beginning of the 18th chapter that Jesus said that the kingdom is not about greatness. It's not a kingdom of personal prestige, but the kingdom is about humility. And those that enter into the kingdom must come in the unpretentious manner of a little child. And so he told the disciples, you must be converted and you must become like little children in order to enter the kingdom. Well, we spent a good deal of time when we were in that passage talking about conversion, and we looked at the necessary attitude that a person has to have, uh, that a believer has to have, and as we look at this passage today, we're brought once again to the subject of children. And what is more tender and, and heartwarming than the subject of children? If you have little children at home, or if you're like I am, you have a passel, that's what we say in Kentucky, a passel full of grandchildren, then you know just how precious that little children are. There's nothing sweeter than these little ones. Well, let's look and see how Jesus dealt with these children. Stand with me, please, uh, as we read God's Word. Matthew 19, verse number 13. Matthew 19:13. Then there were brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. 
Lord, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would open up our hearts to the truths that you'd have us to see today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. As we begin our study of this passage today, I'd like you to turn just a few more pages over to the second book of the New Testament, to the book of Mark. And here we find the, the very same stories recorded by Mark, and there, there's the addition of a few extra details. Also, the same story is told in Luke, and uh, that tells us that this story is very important. Of course, every story in the Bible is important, but if God should inspire the synoptic gospel writers to record it three times, then there surely is something very important and valuable for us to learn from this. And this passage shows us that we should not ignore children, but we should consider their upbringing and their spiritual well-being. That's the supremely important thing as we deal with children. Now, in Mark chapter 10, the story is recorded again, verse number 13, And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and bless them. I want to begin today by setting the scene for this important part of Scripture. And you'll notice that uh, on your listening sheet there today, we don't have an outline for today's message. Instead, I want to give you some background information, and I'll try to give you a few spiritual pointers along the way. And then next week, we'll come back to this, only I'm going to depart from the text just a little bit, and we're going to use that time as an opportunity to answer some questions that people have about children. And there are some important questions to be asked, and uh, parents wonder about some of these things. Uh, You may wonder about infant baptism. What does the Bible say about that? Or you might wonder about the souls of babies that are still in the womb. And then what about the conversion of children? How old does a child have to be in order to come to Christ? And then this question... What happens to little children at the rapture? And we're going to talk about those things next week, and so I hope that you'll come back if you're interested in those things. But the inclusion of children in this particular point of the narrative of Matthew is a very appropriate place for Jesus to talk about it. Uh, In the previous section, Jesus had given a discourse on the permanency of marriage. A question had risen about divorce. And Jesus used that opportunity to speak about the divine institution of marriage. And he showed us that God is the author of marriage and that God intended that marriage should be forever. And if you know anything about the wisdom and the sovereignty and the immutability I'm sorry, of God, you would, you would never be able to reach the conclusion that God started something that was not absolutely perfect. And marriage, as God began it, was a perfect institution. And whatever God does is always going to be perfect. It'll stay that way until men come along and mess it up. And so it is with marriage. And that's why for many, many years people have recognized that God is the author of marriage because we still have that part in our marriage vows that says, till death do us part. It's still in there. And we use it in marriage ceremonies today. One of the reasons that God gave marriage is for procreation. That marriage is the beginning of a new family unit. Children are the fruits of marriages. 
And in order for the well-being and the continuation of the race and for the good of all society, we must have strong family units. And so whenever there's something that threatens a marriage, such as, or marriages in general, such as the recent decision by the Supreme Court about homosexual marriages, we're going to suffer. We'll suffer for that because that is not God's intent for marriage, not to mention the the horrible physical perversion of the body that's one of the most incomprehensible violations of God's law that we can see in Scripture. But marriage is extremely important, and we need to understand that very well. And this we need to understand, that one of the great tragedies of failed marriages is what happens to children. That children are the innocent victims of their selfish parents. So marriages where there are no children, uh, those marriages should hold together. But how much more is it important to keep a family together when there are, when there are children in that family? Children are a sacred heritage of the Lord. Uh, God gives them and God loves them. And we offend God when we don't very carefully treasure what God has given us. So this is an appropriate placement for a lesson about children. It comes immediately after Christ taught on the subject of marriage. Now we notice in verse number 13 that children were brought to Jesus and he gladly received them. We can safely assume that it is the parents that brought these children because that was a long-established Jewish custom. Jewish parents had been taught that they would bring their children to great rabbis in order to receive a blessing. John Broadus, who is a very capable commentator on Matthew, wrote, The Jews had always valued the blessing of a father, a prophet, a great rabbi, or other venerable person. The Talmud says they brought their young children to the synagogue for this purpose. After the father of the child had laid his hands on his child's head, he led him to the elders one by one, and they also blessed him and prayed that he might grow up famous in the law, faithful in marriage, and abundant in good works. And you may remember how the Apostle Paul began with his broad uh, knowledge of the of the Jewish laws and customs, he was born in Tarsus, but the Word of God tells us that his parents brought him to Jerusalem where he sat at the feet of one of the great Jewish rabbis and there he learned the laws of God. Gamaliel was his teacher, a very well-respected rabbi at the time. And so when Paul spoke to a Jewish crowd outside of the temple, he said, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, in a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city, that is, in Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye are this day." So Gamaliel, Gamaliel rather, was a respected teacher and Paul's parents brought him to Jerusalem where he could be taught. And this was a common practice of Jewish parents. They would bring their children to the synagogues and there they would receive a blessing from the elders in the synagogue. And really that's what gave rise to the practice that we have of bringing children to church for a baby dedication. But religious Instruction was very important to the Jewish people, and they started it at a very early age. Now, in this passage, Matthew uses the word children when he speaks of those that are brought to Jesus, and that word actually can mean just a young child, but not really specific to age. 
But when we look in the book of Luke at the same story, Luke is much more specific. And in Luke chapter 8, 15, 18, 15, we learn that there were infants that were brought to Jesus. Matthew used the word, the Greek word paidon, which just means a young child. But Luke narrows that and he uses the word brephos, which has the definition of being an infant. And Luke's reference to it is very interesting because it's actually the same word that means fetus. And when he spoke of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1, he used that word. I want you to listen to this interesting account in Luke 1. Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, had come to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist at the time. Both ladies were pregnant. And uh, Elizabeth was about six months further along in her pregnancy, and she spoke to to Mary. And this is what happened in Luke 1, verse 41. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. The babe leaped in her womb. And the word babe there is actually the word fetus. So that's the word brephos. An infant, a babe, fetus, that's all the same word in the, in the Greek language. So what happened there was that Elizabeth was given, I guess what you would call a, a Holy Ghost kick in the side by her little child, John the Baptist, as he was still in her womb. Now, I think that that ought to tell us a whole lot about what God thinks about children that are in the womb. Now, imagine that if Elizabeth had lived today and she decided that she was going to abort John the Baptist... Can you imagine what a terrible thing that would be? And Jeremiah said the same thing, that God recognizes the baby in the womb. In Jeremiah chapter 1 it says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now that tells us that a baby in the womb is a person, that the baby has a soul, At conception, the baby is alive, and folks, it is a murder to take the soul, to take the life of a fetus. And so these infants were brought to Jesus. The parents started out very early. And this isn't as if they thought that Jesus had some kind of magical powers that he would gift the children with. And this wasn't because they thought Jesus had potency in his touch, but this was a custom. They brought little children early because they thought that this was a thing of value to start them at the earliest age teaching them about the things of the Bible. Now we find another comment about the practice of early religious education that was made by the Apostle Paul when he wrote to Timothy. This is in the second letter to Timothy. Uh, Timothy's father was a Greek, but his mother was Jewish. And Paul said... I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. And then in chapter 3, verse 15, he said to Timothy, and that from a child... Thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now there in that passage, the same word brephos is used, a child in that passage. So Timothy was just an infant. 
when his mother and his grandmother started teaching him the word of God. Now, we also find that this is the practice that came out of the, or was practiced in the Old Testament. Moses gave the command in the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Now you notice there in verse number 7 that parents were to speak about the Lord when they were sitting in the house and when they were walking in the way. What was taught in the house was to be lived outside of the house. What was taught inside of the home was to be modeled by their parents as they lived outside of the home. Now this is not to... They were not to be hypocritical by teaching the word of God to their, to their children at home and then to live a different way as they went about the course of their lives. Now, folks, what we could do with this, we could camp right here for just a few minutes. Some of you can bring your children to Sunday school where they learn to obey and where they learn the word of God. But then you leave church and you go home and you talk like the devil. You act like you're not supposed to act. You have all kinds of ungodly, filthy talk and then the actions that you have at work and at home. You tear down everything that's done to, in the church when you bring your children here. Now, children learn things very early. And just as they can learn what is right very early, they also learn what is evil very early. In fact, because of the disposition of the human heart, it's much easier for a child to pick up things that are wrong than it is to pick up things that are right. And so what you need to do is to teach your children not fill their heads with all of this junk that you're going to have to displace later and have great difficulty getting rid of. You need to start teaching your children at a very early age to honor God, to serve God, and to show with your own life Model with your own life what those children should be. And so Christians would do well to model the truth and to follow the Old Testament custom to teach the Word of God at home and live it outside of the home. Well, why should you do that? Well, you think about the new covenant in Christ. It's far superior to what the Jews had in the Old Testament. They were taught in the Old Testament to honor God in their homes, and they did that without the knowledge of Christ that we have today. And so don't you think that it's much more important for those of us that live in the light of the New Testament and we understand what Christ has come to do? Don't you think it's far more important for us to teach our children about Christ than it even was for the Old Testament Jews to teach their children? Well, of course it's important for us. And, and I'm particularly impressed that they started at such a very young age. The word that's used is brephos. They were infants. And, and I do believe that we fool ourselves if we think that children are not picking up things from the very earliest moments of life, even while they're still babes in arms. You know, it, it's not hard for children to learn things. I mean, it doesn't take them very long to nurse, does it, to learn how to do that? I, I, I like to observe the way that young children learn. Now, I have a picture here for you this morning, and you'll rec uh, maybe you'll recognize these boys. That's the Petro boys when they were really little. 
Where do you think they learned to pray? Where do you think they picked up that? Don't you believe that they picked it up from their parents when they saw them pray? And that's what little children do. Children imitate. They play house. They play church. They sit up a pretend pulpit. And you'll notice this sometimes. They, one of them begins to preach and they get their pretend microphone. Our kids baptized the dog. And he, he, he was a much holier dog because of it, I'll tell you. And then in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus talked about how children play and how they imitate. And in that particular scripture, it, it references, and you may not recognize it when you read it, but this is what Jesus is talking about. He, he was talking about the imitation of children. They learn to play things. Now, in this particular case, they learn to play wedding and they learn to play funeral. Now, those were some pretty morbid kids. At least half of them were the ones that were playing, playing funeral. But the reason they did that was because they saw that in the public places. The marriage ceremonies and funerals were something that were paraded down the streets, and so they would play those kinds of things. So seeing these public activities, they imitated those. And you do need to remember that about your kids. They're watching you, and they're learning from you, and very soon they will start imitating you. Well, here's another interesting thing I think that you should know. Uh, I was speaking to my daughter, Clarissa, when she was here um, a few weeks ago, and she's homeschooling, and so she tries to keep up on all the latest techniques. And one of the instructors and in, uh, one of the experts in Christian education said that when you're teaching a child not to use a Bible paraphrase. Now, one of the things that we do is we tend to do this, at least, that we truncate the Scriptures, we give them just a little piece of it to learn. But this particular expert said, you don't really need to do that because children are capable of learning the scriptures just as they're written. They can learn to recite them in the right way. And I might add to that, it's a good practice to teach them the King James Version. You know, there are people who say, oh, the King James is just too hard to understand. We can't remember that. But it's actually true that the King James Version is easier to recite than the modern versions. And you know why? It's because of the cadence of the King James. It makes it much easier to learn. And then it's better to do this too. It's better to teach them what God said than what somebody thinks that God said. So I I would tell you to stick with the King James Version. So this is important. You need to start your children's Bible education early because God has given them minds to understand. So don't, as I said earlier, don't fill it up with all of that junk that you have to get rid of later. Be consistent about this. Bring your children to church. Model a Christian life as you walk in your home. Well, what else do children learn? One of the things that children learn is to share their faith. And they do it without all of the hang-ups and the fears of adults. Now, we were talking a few minutes ago about our outreach uh, sessions, and I've been somewhat disappointed at the response of adults to outreach. There are some people that said, well, we won't come. And they say that as if outreach is not for them, as if God hasn't called every one of us to be witnesses for him. So how do we just brush that aside and say that we don't need that? But it was interesting to me to see the little children that were brought to these outreach sessions and they, they learn to pass out tracts and they want to get involved with it. They greet people in the store and in the checkout lines. They're eager to put the word of God into someone's hands. Now do you understand better why that 
Jesus said that we must become like little children in order to enter the kingdom. They're unafraid with the gospel, while many of us as adults are cowards. Now, not only should we teach our children, but there are some things that you can learn from your children as well. Now, notice at the end of verse number 13, parents brought their infants and the disciples rebuked them. Now, they must have thought that Jesus was too busy for the intrusion, that Jesus had adults to deal with. He had theological discussions that he needed to get into and, and uh, doctrines that he needed to teach. So Jesus just really didn't have time to take to spend with these little children. But those disciples were so wrong because their actions angered Jesus. And we see it more clearly in the Mark passage. In verse number 14 of Mark 10, But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. There the scripture says he was much displeased. And that word is very, very strong in the Greek language. Jesus was filled with indignation. He was highly upset at the actions of these disciples. A few weeks ago, I gave you a quote from Henry Alford. He was commenting on Matthew 18, verse 3, and he said, There is something exceedingly touching and full of instruction in the association of the words and acts of our blessed Lord with little children. If the story of redemption had been invented by man, and the Son of God had been described in his incarnate course on earth by mere human imagination, we may well conceive that this would have been otherwise. The mind of the gospel would have been that of the disciples who forbade the children to come to him. Our religion would have been a stern and forbidding and restrictive code of morals, not the glorious gospel of freedom and love. Now, Jesus was not interested in sternness and rigidity, not that his religion couldn't display the real compassion of his heart. And there in Matthew nineteen thirteen. This really might have been a selfish gesture on the part of the disciples. Perhaps they thought that these children were an infringement upon their time with the Lord. And that's just all the more reason they needed to learn the humility of children. And this just points us up to, a, to another great reason that Jesus would desire that children would come, because forbidding the little children to come would have robbed him of this great illustration that he used. Now, Jesus was a master illustrator, and he showed the disciples an example of salvation by bringing that little child to him and sitting that child on his lap and telling them, you must be like this. You need to be simple and childlike. And that was just a marvelous opportunity to, to show them something that they were having so much trouble trying to grasp. In the 18th chapter, verse number 1, their thoughts were about personal greatness. And Jesus said, you must be like little children. And how soon they forgot that lesson they just learned. Have you ever noticed that our teaching of adults is repetition, repetition, repetition? Do you wonder why we keep repeating the same things over and over again in sermons? There's a real simple reason. Adults are hard-headed. It's hard to get these things into your mind. You know, when Jorge first became a deacon, he said, you sure do spend a lot of time burping little babies. 
And he used that as a metaphor for adults that just don't seem to get it. That you keep talking about things and talking about it and talking about it, and they just don't seem to get it. But it's remarkable when you look at a little child and you teach them things. What happens when you teach a child a Bible story? You teach them about creation, and they don't get in an argument with you about men coming from monkeys. I mean, you tell a child that God made him, he'll have a much easier time believing that than believing that he came from a monkey. Tell them that God did it, and they believe it. Teach them about Noah and the ark, and they don't call that myths and legends. They understand God can do this. So whatever it is, whatever you try to teach them, to ask them where all things in the world came from, and they'll tell you, God did it. I mean, they're not going to give you some educated answer like, like Stephen Hawking's answer. Oh, it just created itself. No, adults create problems they can't solve. Children just believe God. Intelligent adults delude themselves by believing the astronomically impossible. They argue for, for statistical improbabilities that science simply can't support. And a child just looks at that educated adult and says... God did it. You can teach children that. And so what if we were just like Jesus said? What if we became like children? He says, become like a child and you can enter into the kingdom of God. Now notice what Jesus says in the last part of verse 14. But Jesus said, suffer. I mean, the word means allow. Suffer, little children. Allow them uh, and forbid them not to come unto me. For such is the kingdom of heaven. For such is, of such is the kingdom of heaven. Now those are words that have confused a lot of people. And they think that Jesus meant that children are in the kingdom of heaven. And what they have is just a sentimental view of scripture. And so they believe that Jesus is teaching here that the kingdom belongs to little children. And that has given rise to erroneous teachings such as infant baptism. And we'll talk about that next week. But Jesus is not giving a discourse on the eternal welfare of little children, though we can find inferences in other passages of Scripture, which we'll take a look at. But this is the very same that he said in the 18th chapter, verse number 3, when he said, become as little children. In other words, for such as refers to childlike people. That these are the ones that are in the kingdom of heaven. Not the children themselves, but those that are like them. Now those then that have spiritual characteristics of children, as the children have physical characteristics, you compare those two. And what it means is those who imitate the simplicity of children. Those that come innocently and unpretentiously. Those who come in belief. Those who look in the face of Jesus and say, I believe this because you said it. That's the attitude of a child. So we don't come to Christ arguing our way in, but we come to him in faith, trusting that he does all things well. Now let me see if I can sum up things today. What can we learn from the passage? Well, there are a lot of questions that are asked about children, and they're not addressed in this passage. And as I said, we'll talk about it next week. But what do we learn from this from now? for now? Well, I think one of the things that we learn is the great example that was set by these parents. Now, it's not likely that all of them were believers, and that's because there were so few of them that, that actually trusted Christ. 
But what they were doing here is they were following their custom. That, that great rabbis and great teachers were a spiritual blessing to their children. That's what they thought. And shouldn't we as Christians pick up on that example? I mean, how much more do our children need to hear about, about Christ? How much more should we want them to hear from good pastors and teachers and receive the blessing of hearing God's word? And so shouldn't we bring our children to come bring them to church and bring them to Jesus? And rather than being far more concerned about their education and their recreation, why aren't we more concerned about their spiritual edification? And we need to be concerned because in each of these children is an eternal soul. Now, I know that there are many of you that have family members and friends that are not saved, and you've never had the opportunity to mold their lives, to shape their lives in a certain way. And now that they're older, you wish that you could have done that. You wish you had the opportunity to change where they are because what you want more than anything is for them to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But then why is it that parents who do have such a great opportunity to give their children a a Christian home and the right kind of upbringing and the right kind of influences that can show them the way of Jesus Christ and expect that when they come to age to understand that they will receive Christ as Savior, why isn't it that parents are so not so concerned about giving their children all advantages they can possibly give them in order for them to come to know Christ as Savior? Why take away their opportunities from doing all, by doing all kinds of other things, keeping them out of the house of God when they have the opportunity to hear God's word preached? Why do parents do that? Aren't you concerned about the eternal soul of that child? This is what the psalmist said, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. God gave you your children. The Bible says that children are his heritage. And you know what God wants? This is what God wants from you as a parent. To give your child back to him. God wants your children. They're his heritage. Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So these are parents that brought their children to the Lord. Jesus said, bring them to me. So bring them to church. Listen to children as they ride back and forth to church when they leave church from Sunday school. You know, I I love to do this with our grandchildren now. Um, When we go down to San Diego or when we're taking the ones here around in the car and they want to put on the tapes or the the CDs, I should say, and and they want to listen to the songs about Jesus. And you you sit back there or you sit there while you're driving and just listen to those little kids sing about Jesus. You know, there's nothing that's sweeter than that, to hear those little children singing. Why would you ever want to take that away from them? In Matthew 18:6 Jesus said, "But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea." It is a terrible curse on anyone who offends a little child. 
Now, when we studied that passage, we, we noted that what Jesus meant, the primary meaning of that, is he means all believers in Christ, that all of us are God's, all of us that believe are God's children. But think about this passage, that how much more a terrible crime it is to take these little minds that are ready to look to Jesus in faith and to tear down that faith by neglect of your children and to tear it down by the evil example of your life? How much worse is it for a parent to do that with what God has entrusted you with? Now, do you know the world is full of abuses of little children? We, we don't know the half of what goes on in homes today. I remember many years ago uh, being out on bus visitation, and there was a lady that sent her five-year-old child to church. She wouldn't come to church with her, but she sent her little child, five-year-old, to church, and she did it really just to get rid of her. She didn't want, her, want to have to fool with her on Sundays, and this was her opportunity for a, for a babysitter. But what this mom would do is that during the week, she would lock this little five-year-old girl in a room by herself. And this little girl had to sleep on the floor, on a hardwood floor. All they gave her was just a blanket, and she would try to cover herself up with that. She couldn't get out of the room to go to the bathroom, and so she would just sleep in her filth day after day after day. But one time she fell, and she injured her ankle, and sometimes she'd injured both of her ankles, and her mother wouldn't take her to the doctor. And instead, that little child's bones grew back, and by the time that she was riding our church bus, there wasn't anything that could be done for her. I mean, she was already deformed and could, be, could barely walk. But something that was very preventable. And that, her, her mom treated her that way. Uh, just a few weeks ago, there was a, a family that my kids went to Christian school with. And this family, the, uh, the, their girls that had gone to Christian school with my daughter, grew up. And I just learned just a, a few weeks ago that this, this girl beat her little baby to death. Who would do that to a child? Terrible abuses against children. Th- those are just horrendous stories. But think about the parent who doesn't care about the souls of their children. Children have eternal souls. And you know that there are many parents that are going to stand before God with blood on their hands? And it won't be because they physically killed their children. That's not the problem. The problem was they deprived them of the spiritual need that they had to hear about Jesus Christ. And because of that, those little children will spend eternity in hell. Now, you think that's not a serious thing? Far worse than any physical abuse that you could give to a child is to cheat a child out of his spiritual upbringing and not give him every single advantage, every opportunity that you can to see that they come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. This is what God wants from us. This is what he expects. He expects us to give our children back to him. They are his heritage. And so Jesus said, allow these little children to come to me. Forbid them not. And I just want to ask some of you parents today, I mean, have you forbidden your children to come to Jesus? What about all those other things that you do on the Lord's Day? Have you offended them by not bringing them to Jesus? Now, do you notice something about these children? They had to be brought. You know what that tells us? They're helpless. They can't do this for themselves. They can't come on their own. They have to be 
brought. And you just look at the eyes of little children as they light up when they're brought to church. You don't have a greater duty than this, parents, than to bring your children to Jesus. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. This is really a great teaching opportunity for the disciples, and folks, it is one for us. And I just want to ask you parents something. Have you learned this lesson from Jesus? I hope that your head's not too hard. Simple message today. What are you doing with your kids? Bring them to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've spent together in your word. Lord, I I pray that your Holy Spirit, with conviction, would move upon the hearts of parents today that see so many other things that they would rather do that take their children out of the place of God's uh, teaching, out of the place of the church where they can learn more about their duties as what God would have them to do and then come to know Christ as Savior. I mean, this is what you've given us a church for. Surely parents should teach their children at home, and and the scriptures are clear about that. But also there are pastors, there are leaders, there are, you might say, the great rabbis that can be a blessing to children as they hear the word of God being taught. Lord, we just ask you to impress it upon our hearts today to love our children and, Lord, to bring them to you, to return that heritage because you love them so much. Help us to love their souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.